0: So once again, we're reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. In hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. And lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you all. Uh, We are continuing through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Looking at this theme of Matthew, which is that Jesus brings us into a better kingdom. That's what Matthew's about. And to... Every few weeks, we'll try to flush out this idea of Jesus brings us into a better kingdom to help it make a little, make it seem a little less abstract to you, hopefully, and uh, something that may be helpful is, apparently, they made that live-action Little Mermaid recently. It was like a month or two ago. Uh, I watched, I haven't seen that one, but I did watch the animated version when I was a child a fair amount with my siblings, and I actually kind of liked it. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? And... Yeah, what what's going on with the with the Little Mermaid, right? So she's she's part of a royal family. She's a princess. She has a lot of stuff, but she's longing for this other world, right? So in that song, it's something like, "I want to be where the people are, right? Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun. Wish I could be, you know, part of that world." And so it's like she's longing for this this other kingdom. And so what does she do? She she eschews her societal obligation as a princess. She eschews her traditional or her familial role as a as a daughter. And she even changes her biology, right? She moves from a mermaid to becoming a human because she's looking for this this better life. It's, it's a very modern narrative, right? But one reason why stories like this are so in pretty much every well-known story works this way. It's someone has this vision of their—no matter how much stuff I have— there's got to be this this other world, this, this, this better kingdom, as it were. And so Jesus comes to say, he says, even if you have great relationships and you feel pretty stable, like, you know that you were made for a better world, where you're not burdened with the kinds of things that, you know, Ariel was burdened by. Like, you want the same things that she longs for. And so what Jesus tells us today, now he's going to go into a bunch of parables about the kingdom of God, and how he starts it is he says, the way you enter this kingdom that every human in their bones longs for, you enter it by listening, or you enter it by hearing. You need to hear well, and this is, this is counterintuitive, because think about how you grow in most kingdoms of the world. So if you want to grow in career or grow in influence in some way, especially in an area like this, you advance not by listening, but by being the one who's speaking, you advance by being the one that other people want to listen to. You walk into a room and you're the one who's talking. So you can say you advance in many of the kingdoms of the world by not being a good listener. Uh, but Jesus says the main point of today is you enter the kingdom and you grow in the kingdom by hearing. Okay, so developing the skill of hearing well is really important for Jesus and therefore for us. So let's look at this passage as we, we walk through it. Uh, we'll look at it under four points, uh, pretty much starting at the beginning, going to the end. Number one, we have a hearing problem. That's why Jesus is giving this in the first place. Okay, so we have a hearing problem. Number two, Jesus knows we have a hearing problem. Number three, Jesus diagnoses our hearing problem. Okay, he helps us identify it. And number four, how to hear well. Okay, we have a hearing problem. Jesus knows we have a hearing problem. He diagnoses our hearing problem. And then how can we become better hearers? How can we hear well? All right, you guys good? All right. So let's get started. We have a hearing problem. So note at the start of the parable, he's sitting by the sea, and it says in verse 2, great crowds gathered about him. And the trajectory of Jesus' life is one that starts with tons of people around him. And this makes sense because he provides superb health care, right? He gives incredible food and drink. But what we see is by the end of Jesus' life, the crowds begin to dim, and he's just left with his mom and a few friends at the very end of his life. And what happens is because, you know, toward the end of his life, the crowds finally begin to hear Jesus say things like, you need to practice self-denial. They say, no way. And and saying things like, I'm going to deal with all of your problems, okay, your oppression, your poverty, the the deepest things within you by going to a cross. And they're like, well, that's a stupid message. And so they leave him. Right because he 's been saying these things the entire time it 's just they finally actually hear him, and further we see in this parable note that so this parable is about each soil represents how well a person hears Jesus, hears the word of God, and three of the four soils don 't hear well right they don 't take the seed that 's a high failure rate and jesus is, so his whole point here is hearing me, actually listening to me is far harder than you think it is. Okay, that's his point. And it's worth reflecting on this because currently in the American church, we're seeing a trajectory that's not too different from the crowds in Jesus's day. Where We're seeing a decline in church attendance, at least in America. It's growing globally, but in America it's declining. And a critique of the conservative evangelical church, which does have a lot of warrant, is something to the effect of Many evangelicals in America have find the gospel of Jesus attractive precisely because they're not listening to the whole thing. Okay, so on, on the one hand, many evangelical churches, you have, you have a grabbing hold of this majestic reality of Jesus bringing you into his kingdom by grace alone. Okay, and we get forgiveness of sin, and we get brought into the new earth. Like, yes, amen, Jesus teaches this. So there's a grabbing hold of this, but on the other hand, all the times that Jesus talks about integrating his lordship into every single area of life, it's like, mm, no thanks, right? So when we start to hear things like from Jesus, you know my teaching in my life isn't actually fully compatible with the American dream? Uh, You know that you should actually value your church family as highly as your nuclear family? Um, Do you know that I actually have a say in And who you date and who you marry? Do you know that your allegiance to me should be higher than your allegiance to a political tribe? And we we back away. And so when you actually analyze the data of people leaving the church, what you find is if you have, you know, serious disciples of Jesus over here, you have people of other faiths over here, when you actually look at it, it's largely the nominal Christians, nominal in name only, who have been burning away. So you're kind of left with the extremes on either side. And so the point is, like, many people in the American church, just like the crowds here, haven't actually been listening to Jesus. And then when they finally hear what he's saying, it's like, okay, well, I don't want that. And so as some applications for us today, and it it may go a different direction than you think, but if you're here and you're struggling with some of the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture, that's actually a good thing because it means you're actually hearing him because if you're like I I don't know about some of the stuff scripture says I don't know some of these things about you know what Jesus says you may be closer to Jesus than the crowds okay who are all about just the immediate benefits that they saw and then second for those of you with with children um, and I know most of the kids in our church are younger but it's good to plan ahead for this kind of thing just as we think ahead for the children in our church whether you're a parent whether you're helping a disciple a child in our church Often for parents, like, there can be this fear of, oh, my goodness, what if one day my child starts to doubt Christianity? Or if they say something to the effect of, you know, Jesus says, are you reading this, Mom? Are you reading this? Jesus says some wild things. I don't know if I can get on board with this. That may actually be a good thing, right? Because, similar to what we're seeing here, it means they're actually hearing him, Okay? So th- this is number one, we, we have a hearing problem. We just, we don't want to listen to the full message of Jesus, but the comfort of it and the, and the challenge of it. So that's number one. We have a hearing problem. And number two, Jesus, he knows we have a hearing problem. And so he, he meets us where we're at. And that's in this section in verse 10 through 17. So this this section, it could be a sermon in itself, uh, but essentially this, this whole passage is Jesus goes meta because it's basically a parable about why he tells parables. And the key here is, like, the nugget in this middle section in your Bible, the heading, may say, the purpose of the parables, is in verse 13 where Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, people are really, really good at only hearing the information they want to hear. And so if you've seen that avant-garde, elevated, highbrow comedy, Dumb and Dumber, right? There's that scene where Jim Carrey, he asks a girl he's attracted to. Some of the effect of, you know, like, what chance do I have with you? And she says, it's one in a million. And he goes, so you're telling me there's a chance? <laughs> yes. And, you know, she's just, what the, but like this is human nature. We only hear the information we want to hear. And on a more somber note, uh, not too long ago, I was talking with a friend who's, He has family members who have bought into conspiracy theories. And he was grieving how hard it is to get together, you know, during the holidays and so forth. Because no matter how much data and evidence he provides, right, they just, they filter it through all of their pre-held beliefs. So just, there's no budging. And this is all of us, by the way. Okay, so before we look at people, right, in a condescending way who hold to conspiracy theories, as hard as that is, all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, we all have beliefs and habits right, some of which, which aren't true or healthy that we desperately do not want to be challenged on. And so Jesus says, I know this about you, and so this is why I tell stories, because stories, they have a way of circumventing our subconscious defense mechanisms, right, for changing our beliefs and our habits, and uh, C.S. Lewis called this stealing past watchful dragons. Uh, just what a, what a great phrase. And here he's borrowing from Jesus. And because C.S. Lewis was asked, like, okay, you're this world-renowned Oxford scholar and expert in Renaissance literature. Why are you spending your time writing fairy tales like Narnia? And he responded in an article, like something to the effect of, you know, I've found that when you tell people, like, you need to feel this way about Jesus. Often people they don't feel this way about—they don't change their feelings about Jesus, maybe precisely because they're being told <laughs> to feel a certain way about Jesus. he so says, what I've found is if I can strip away people's associations they have where they tie Jesus to a painful or a dry church experience, and I can immerse the beauties of Jesus into a story, right, suddenly they say, oh my goodness, you know, Jesus is beautiful, right? You're like, you read, not, you're like, Aslan's awesome. Oh, that's Jesus? This is really cool. And so that's what Jesus is getting at here. He knows he's talking to a crowd where if he just comes out immediately and says, like, super— and he is blunt, but he is also telling stories because he knows they're not going to like what he has to say. So he tells a story about seeds because as they're listening, they're going to think, oh, my goodness, thank goodness he's not talking about life change. He's just telling a story about seeds. And then, you know, it'll be implanted in their heart, and then like a time bomb, it'll go off later. And for those who wish to see, they'll see. Okay, so this is why he, this will set us up for a large part of the rest of Matthew where he keeps telling parables, this is why, right? To get past our defense mechanism, so we we grow as disciples of Jesus. Okay, so that's number two. Jesus, he knows we have a hearing problem, and so now we get to his actual parable where he diagnoses our hearing problem. He helps us see, okay, what barriers may be in between us and hearing Jesus. And so we'll be mainly in verse 18 to 23, and He gives four soils, and notice that in this story, everyone in the room is in this parable. Okay, so each soil represents, Jesus is a master teacher, like, you know, 2,000 years later, he's covering everybody in the room. All of us represent one of these soils, and so, or these soils represent all of us. And so, as we go through these, this is, for some of you, this may be really hard to do, but this is an opportunity we're being given to do some soul-searching. And so as easy it will be to read through this and think, oh, that person's this soil and that person's this soil, just ask the question, what kind of soil am I as we go through this? So what kind of soil am I? First, he talks about the path or the hard soil, and this represents the hardened heart. So the seed is sown, the, the path is hard as iron, you know, hard as steel, so the seeds basically just bounce around and then birds swoop in and pick it up. And so you know you have a hardened heart like this through a few ways. One, you could say if Jesus is irrelevant to you, right? You just you hear about Jesus, you hear is where it just kind of bounces off, right? Because you're in the merry-go-round of career and romance and networking and brunch and you know all these things and you know planning awesome experiences and trips. And then you hear about Jesus and you're like, how in the world is this relevant to anything <laughs> in my day-to-day? Okay, so it just bounces off. So you may have a hardened heart if he's irrelevant. Number two, you may have a hardened heart if Jesus, if the message of the kingdom is mainly theory, right? Because think about the metaphor. The the seed stays on top. It doesn't go down to the root where the heart is. Because when the power of the kingdom, when the power of Jesus becomes personal to you, it's like you stop thinking about it in terms of information but suddenly, truths that you've heard a thousand times begin to dawn on you in a new way. It's like the Word of God has, has your name on it in some way, right? You begin to see reality a different way. You begin to say things like, oh my goodness, this is talking about me. And so if Jesus is mainly theory, okay, not actually personal, you may have a hardened heart. And then number three, we can't miss the fact that uh, Jesus says in verse 19, when we hear the word of the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. And so Jesus, as we keep saying in Matthew, he takes the devil seriously, and so, so should we. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, the main way the devil works is through lies. Okay, so you hear something about Jesus or the kingdom of God, and this question comes in, isn't this silly? Isn't this easily, refru- isn't this easily refuted? Isn't this dogmatic? Isn't this on the wrong side of history? What about all those people over there who don't care at all about Jesus, and they seem way happier than you do? And the devil, he can't make you do anything, but he can quite powerfully manipulate through lies. And so if Jesus feels irrelevant, if he's mainly theory, or if you're gripped by lies, you may have a hardened heart. What kind of soil am I? Number two, Jesus describes the rocky soil, and this is the shallow heart, you could say. So the seed goes into the soil, it sprouts up quickly. Andrew right now is In so much anguish that I'm not properly describing agriculture (laughs) metaphors. All right, all right. Just things are going to go wrong if I really try to get into the uh, the the physics of it, whatever it is. Okay, but it, it sprouts up quickly, and then the sun scorches it, and it withers. And so, this is someone who Christ may feel personal to you, right? Like you receive Jesus with joy. You say things like, "Christ has changed me." I just I love Jesus, but then suffering comes into your life, or something important is taken away and you start to back off. And so what Jesus is describing here is a faith that withers in the face of suffering is shallow soil. And like d- does this ring a bell f- for any of you? Where you remember a time in your life where your faith felt alive. There, there there was a there was a joy about you when it came to following Jesus. And then be it due to pain came in, uh, you wanted something really important that Jesus said no to, or just the weariness of life started to accumulate and you start to become numb or you start to back away or maybe just walk away entirely. And uh, the the researchers, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, I think is how you say his name, uh, they wrote a book about four or five years ago called The Coddling of the American Mind. And they describe this trait that they believe has uh, taken root, and especially in a lot of parents. And they, they call it safetyism. So this idea that safety isn't just important, but it's, or it's good, but it's a sacred value. And so what we've seen is a lot of parents have worked so hard to shield their children from any kind of painful or opposing ideas or shield them from physical harm, right, or emotional harm, That what happens is parents create the very problem they're trying to avoid because a child needs suffering and hardship to become more anti-fragile, right, to become more resilient. So by constantly shielding a child from physical pain, mental pain, right, emotional pain, what they do, they, they become more fragile and they can't handle storms when they come. And they say this is a big reason why we see just a lot of uproar in in college campuses, right, where it seems like a lot of people have a hard time just listening to opposing ideas. Um, I don't know how—the research seems pretty substantiated, but that's kind of where they go with with what they're saying. But the point is, it's it's easy for—it's harder than you think, by the way, if if you're a parent, too, to avoid that. But rather than us looking at parents, I bring this up because I wonder if for many of us in our own faith, we've subscribed to a kind of safetyism— where we believe that if any kind of pain comes in or Jesus says no to something that's important to us, then he can't be trustworthy or good. And it's one thing to go to God with your, your confusion and your pain. That, that's a spiritually and emotionally healthy response. But it's another thing entirely. You just keep getting hit by the waves of life and find it's just like, whatever. You know, maybe you don't walk away, but you just start going through the motions. Because if your faith withers when suffering comes, you may have a shallow heart. What kind of soil am I? Number three, Jesus describes the thorny soil. Here in verse 22, he says, What was sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, or the anxieties of the world is another way to translate that. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And this is scary, because this is, this is when somebody receives the word for a longer period of time, and... The soil itself is healthy, but what else is in there? Thorns are in there. And so over time, here's why it's so scary, because the soil we looked at before, the rocky soil, the enemy there is suffering. That's a lot more obvious. In this soil, the enemy is busyness, right, or the anxieties of life, or prosperity. And so this is where you may find yourself, where you you do have a love for Jesus, but then you have work deadlines to meet, and you have to call your mom, and you have to get gas in your car, and you have to meet that friend for coffee, and you have to, you know, make that phone call, and you have to, you know, all of the above, you know, you have to deal with those evil things called emails. And before you know it, Jesus, who was once at the center of your life, and y- you even want him to be at the center of your life, he becomes, you know, just pushed off to the margins. Okay, so if you're distracted it could be even distracted by your wealth right when you have more money have more time to look at let me look at the 50 options I can choose from online for this clothing or this piece of home decor (laughs) you know or it's easy to spend six months on buying a home or planning a wedding and you know things that aren't intrinsically bad but this is why prosperity can be so distracting and so if you're distracted by the the busyness of life right the prosperity of life you may have a distracted heart what kind of soil am I And now, number four, we get to what is strongly implied is the soil Jesus wants you to be. And this is the the good soil. And in verse 23, he says, was sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and and yields. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another 30. So this is the person who approaches Jesus with humility and expectation and says, Jesus, I'm ready to listen. And I'm ready to respond. And for the heart that is open, the Holy Spirit does something impossible. It says it produces a yield 30, 60, 100 fold. And this was a a highly exaggerated return Jesus is using here. So, I mean, I I believe it would be around probably a tenfold increase would be enormous. Right? When it comes to the context of his day, maybe a little bit like today. You know, in finances, like 5 to 10% return is considered, like, that's that's pretty good. You know, if you're told you're going to be given an 80 to 100% return on your financial investments, like, that's impossible. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. So he's saying if you're open to receive through the Holy Spirit, the return is, it's impossible. And what's the kind of yield that takes place in your life? And to be clear, this isn't the silly and superficial promises of health and wealth, at least in this age. What it is is it's the bountiful harvest of becoming more like Jesus, where the people in your life begin to describe you as somebody who is quicker to be unselfish and more attentive to them. Uh, they would describe you as someone who is becoming more grounded and patient, quick to laugh, uh, quicker to repent to say I was wrong and to ask for forgiveness. And so as you open yourself to the word of Jesus, he does nothing less than turn you into more of himself. And one day, as Philippians chapter 1 puts it, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Okay, on that day he returns to renew all things and he, he touches you and you become more whole and more alive than you ever thought. And okay, so this is the, the power of the, the heart, the open soil working with the Holy Spirit and the Word, okay? What kind of soil am I? So next let's look at how how can we become better hearers? And notice Jesus, he, he doesn't say anywhere, you, you better get it together or I'm gonna smash you right now. No, what he's saying is, I'm right here. My words bring life and it's still not too late to open your heart so grace com- can come flying into your life and produce a yield that's 100 fold and so what are some ways that we can hear well first is to realize this takes time okay it takes time to hear it takes time to grow and the this uh this metaphor it's, it's in the image itself so think about a seed do seeds grow fast or slow do seeds grow fast or slow it's slow yes thank you they grow slow Often growth is imperceptible, and what happens with, this has happened with me so many times, it's probably happened to you, like you, you get in a are really like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible and listen to Jesus, I'm going to pray, I'm going to try walking in obedience, and a week goes by and nothing happens, right? Fireworks don't go off, like you don't become a superhero, and you're like, well, this isn't working, so I'm just going to go back to <laughs> my former patterns. And But it, it takes time. I remember when I was a child on my childhood sidewalk, there was a, a slab of concrete where the root of a tree had grown through it right, and created a big crack in the cement. And so similar to this tree root that had grown through the cement, right, which, that started with a seed, the word of God, given enough openness and enough time, it will crack through your arrogance. It'll crack through your hurt. It'll crack through your numbness. It'll crack through your fears. It'll crack through your longings. Okay, but, but it takes time. So first realize it takes time. That, that pretty much needs to be number one because everything after that, if we have these expectations of happening at fast, it's just done from the get-go. Number two, be with Jesus. We need to hear him. Are you starting to sense a theme okay, here, not just in our church, but in Matthew? So this parable, he's giving this pr- within a couple hours of last week. And what happened in chapter 12? You have a group of people with hardened hearts who are saying, you're not the king, show us a sign, prove it. And then he ends the section with he's in the house, he's in a house with men and women sitting around him. And what Jesus says is if you do something as simple as just approach me with an open heart, you now have an important part in this story. As you are, you are given the security of being my sibling, i.e. someone who's nothing less than a sister or brother of the Son of God. And so we need to be with Jesus. Okay, we need to, that's how we become better hearers. And so maybe for those of you who maybe you're currently struggling with reading Scripture or reading the Bible, or maybe you're just in a season where it feels hard. I heard uh, one lady who she oversees a ministry at another church, and she said, you know, for years I've been saying a one-word prayer as I go to be with God, and it's Help. Not ah, great. Help. Help me hear you. Help me know. Help me know that you're there and you care. Okay. Help me die to self-centeredness today. Help me to know I, there's actually a purpose for me today. Help me to know how loved I am, how secure I am. Help. Such a good prayer to pray as we go to, to be with Jesus. Okay. So be with Jesus and be with others. If Jesus never calls people into lone ranger Christianity. But he always brings people into a community, which later in Matthew we'll see he names the church. And you need other people because as you spend time in community and quantity time, okay, around dinner tables and in living rooms, what happens is the more you spend time in a community, and especially a community where, where you're seen and not condemned, okay, but you're given belonging, the kind of place a church is going to be, you can't help it, but the facades start to drop, Okay, and inevitably, even if it's by accident, maybe you say something that you actually didn't mean to say and it like it reveals a part of you or your story that you didn't mean for other people to hear. But when you're in a when you're in a community as Jesus designed it, that's undergirded by grace, you say something and people can say something, and people have done this to me, where they're like, Hey, you just you just made this comment. You know that's not true. You know that's not true. This is true instead. Okay, as they as they speak the word of the kingdom of Jesus into your life, and so this is one reason why we need to be with others. And then number four, how do we become better hearers? Okay, realize that you are the soil and not the gardener. Okay, so in this parable, we're the soil. We're not the gardener. Who's the gardener? It's the one telling the parable. He's many things in this parable. He's also the seed. He's also also the gardener. And so as the soil, left to your own devices, you do not have the power within you to pull out the thorns, to pull out the rocks, to remove that iron slab, right, over the soil that's creating that hardened heart. And so your job as the soil is to ask, you know, what what kind of soil am I? And maybe the question is, I don't know, or I'm scared to know the answer, but what Jesus wants you to know is most importantly, the soil he calls you to be is the soil that goes to the gardener and says, Jesus, I, I need you to remove this iron slab over my heart. I need you to pull these thorns, okay, these thorns of disordered desires and anger and distraction. I need you to, to remove the rocks that are creating a shallow heart. All of my pain and my hurt and these, this confusion over why I, I can't figure out why you have said No. This long, I have. And as soon as you do that, Jesus, as the gardener, says, Here you are at last. Don't you know this is what I came to do? I, I took that iron slab, it was shaped into nails and driven through my hands. Don't you know I, I've taken your thorns? They were driven through my brow. I took your rocks, I was, I was buried under a big one. It's why I've come, and it's why I'm here. Let's pray.